I did have my youngest daughter on my shoulders last night. And so there is a point where they outgrow that, uh, or at least I outgrow it for them. It's a treat to have my brother Dan and his wife, Dan and Lori, with us. Uh, brought back memories of when I was a little boy sitting beside my father in church hearing Dad sing. And that was neat to be able to hear Dan sing. I was amazed as a teenager how um, whenever somebody would speak from a missions organization, they always had the same message no matter what topic you gave them. And, and the message was, the Lord laid it on my heart for you to give me money and personnel. And uh, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity you have given me this morning to tell you about York and how we need teachers and a secretary next year. And anyhow, you pray. If the Lord wants you in York, I'd be happy to have you. All right, enough of that. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Yesterday, as I was contemplating <clears throat> the message this morning and thinking about some of my favorite messages that I've given over the years and saying, Lord, which, which message should I give? And I was reviewing some of the passages of the ones that um, it's easy to, to pull out a, a sermon that you've given before. And um, as I was reviewing Matthew 18, I saw something I never saw before. So you, uh, you get a new sermon, not, not a rehearsed one. And having said that, I'll put the disclaimer on, say, you know, I, I am going to present this as a, uh, let's think about this. And um, you may correct me this week. You know, the, the noble Bereans searched the scriptures to see whether it was true or not, right? And so I, I believe there's a, a truth in here that, that I never saw. And I'd like to present it that we would uh, contemplate whether there's something we've missed over the years and <clears throat> we need to, to look further. Probably my, my favorite message, which I, I give most every place I'm asked to go for the first time, is, is Romans chapter 7, uh, titled, are you, are you Married to Christ? Romans chapter 7, verse 4 says that you should be, you're dead to the law, that you might be married to him who was raised from the dead. And so I, I encourage you to do some research on that at home. Read Romans 7 and think about the analogy of being married. Compare the marriages that you have experienced or you've seen, which are good marriages, and then compare that relationship, husband-wife relationship, to uh, Jesus Christ and yourself, being married to Christ. It's a good one. And study that out and uh, give me your insights because I, I, it's really, I, I'd like to formulate it into a book sometime. I think it's an excellent, um, and it's an excellent concept of is all millennia, uh, the, uh, not all millennia, the Arminians or the Calvinists' view of salvation, which, ones, which way is to explain that. And, and marriage is an excellent view of, of security in Christ, uh, if you have a secure marriage at least. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that. I'll just give you that as your homework assignment. Somebody give me a scripture. Why, why is it that we don't smoke or, or do drugs or illegal drugs, alcohol, etc.? Why, why don't we do that? Somebody give me a scripture. Temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We all agree to that? Somebody give me a scripture. Uh, why men need to go out and work and provide for their family. 
Okay? So is that assuming we're all thieves? <laughs> uh, I stole. I stole, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sweater, sweater your brow concept. Oh, using that verse, it says, let him stool, steal. No more let him labor with his hands. And the, <laughs> you got to be careful how you put your punctuation there. Yes. Okay. You're thinking. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? 120 years? How many agree to that? 110? It is very possible for us to look at Scripture. We've heard Scripture. We've heard them expound over the years. And we assume what they mean. And it's refreshing if you can find something and say, wait a minute, that's not quite the way that uh, God intended it to be, even though we've heard it growing up. I don't believe it took Noah 120 years. Noah was 500 years old when he had his triplets, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. And uh, God said, I want you to take all the animals into the ark, and I want you to, to um, uh, take your sons and their wives into the ark with you. It's all part of the instruction. And... He, the, the flood came when he was 600. So if, he, if it took him 120 years, then God was prophetically telling him, you're going to have three sons and they're going to get married and you're going to take them into the ark. And so there is a verse that says man's days will be limited to 120. And uh, before that, they lived to be 600, 900. After the flood, uh, 120, give or take. A little later on in, in Psalms, it says man's days shall be Three score and ten, and if by reason of strength, eighty, right? Um, and so, you know, we've heard this over the years. It took 120 years. It took 120 years. 120 years. 120 years. It's, it's not really supported in Scripture. I was uh, <clears throat> working one day at a uh, message, uh, a series of messages, New Year's resolutions we ought to make. And so I had a sermon on we ought to, um, we ought to pray more. And next Sunday I had a sermon we ought to read the Bible more. And then my, my next message was, we ought to take care of the temple, Holy Spirit of God. And I, I was planning to talk about uh, how we shouldn't uh, do, do drugs or uh, smoke or, or drink coffee. And uh, how these, these defile the temple, Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and as I was preparing that message, God said, uh, are you all gonna, also going to talk about overeating? And, well, no. <laughs> so, uh, Lord, uh, you know, there's only so much time that you have, have, you know, sort of a limited amount of time and, and you can't cover every subject. And you can't go, you're going to talk about white sugar. Well, come on, Lord, you know, this is, a, this is a limit to what you can do, you know. And, uh, he said, it's interesting that you're only going to talk about the subjects that you have victory over. And so I said, well, you know, Lord, if, if this verse, 
the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, therefore don't defile your temple. If that's what it means, don't smoke and drink. And Well, then I also have to include overeating and white sugar to be consistent. But I believe the Lord revealed a new truth to that verse. Because I remember um, Elmer Glick, who was missionary in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> Incidentally, how many of you hope you never, ever live in the city? Uh, I hope God doesn't call me the city. We're going to pray for you. Uh, because uh, New Jerusalem's coming down for all the saints. And all the saints are going to someday live in the city. But anyhow, Elmer was Washington, D.C. missionary. And uh, as, he was, as he was down there and... Uh, we had him preaching there at Times Peace one Sunday, and he asked this question. How many of you, if you're walking down the streets of Washington, D.C., and you're peeling a banana, and as you peel it, whoop, it falls on the street sidewalk, would you pick it up and blow it off and eat it? Or would you take it to the closest trash can and, and dispose of it? And it was about half and half. You know, we voted on that. And uh, <laughs> good stewardship, you can't throw it away. And so he said, Jesus said, nothing entering the body defiles the body. Nothing, and he repeated it over again, nothing entering the body defiles the body. And so I thought to myself, if that's true, then nothing, but it goes on, it says, but from within the heart, bitterness and anger and resentment, that defiles the body. We have a lot of people who don't drink and don't smoke and don't drink coffee and don't, but they have defiled temples because of bitterness and anger and resentment. A lot of, a lot of defiled bodies. So at ministers' meeting, next time we had ministers' meeting, I said, uh, what is the reason we don't smoke? Oh, body, temple, Holy Spirit of God. What's the reason we don't smoke? Body, temple. I went right down the row, and I asked him, body, temple, Holy Spirit of God. And I got the same answer except for one, where Leroy Gaiman said, I will be mastered by nothing. The Bible said I'll be mastered by nothing. I said, that makes sense. There's a, there's a solution why we don't smoke or drink or do anything else. It's not... The temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Taken out of context. That actually, that context is um, uh, talking about the uh, fornication, being being one with somebody you're not married to. Is the context. Don't defile the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, <clears throat> what about the verse that tells us that if you provide not for your own, you are worse than an infidel and have denied the faith. That context is not talking about fathers. That context is not talking about husbands. That context is talking about nephews who have an aunt who is not married, an aunt who is a widow. And it says, do you, any of you have um, sons or nephews? Let them take care of the widows and don't be chargeable to the church. Lest, uh, whatever the rest of it is. And anybody who does not take care of their own, especially their own household, is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. Totally taken out of context. Now, why would I tell you those stories today? Just to show you how smart I am or just to show you, you know, I know more than you guys know. And see, I have it rightly divided the word of truth and you guys don't, you know. No, I think it's very, very possible for us to get in our heads a context that we believe is right and valid, and it's not really the message of the Scripture. And so I would like to look at, a, look at Matthew 18 in a different context this morning and challenge us to, to open our eyes to a truth that I have never heard before, which <clears throat> I think is, is here, but has not been described. 
How many of you, when I said we're going to read Matthew 18, <clears throat> thought immediately of this is this is how you confront an erring brother, a uh, brother or sister who has who has erred, and, and, and it gives us the steps of how we confront them. All right, and that's the, probably the most famous of all the parts of Matthew 18. How, how many of you, when I said Matthew 18, oh, that's talking about the the king who's reckoning with his um, servants and finds a servant who owed him a bunch of money, and that that. Servant didn't forgive his others, and you have to forgive. How many thought of that is uh, in Matthew 18? Okay, a few. And that's actually a really powerful uh, illustration. Uh, um, I ask people, how many times does um, how many times does Jesus unforgive us? Is it, does God unforgive us? Um, and in Matthew 18, the very last verse says, "So shall my Father do unto you, if you from your hearts do not forgive everybody." Their sins. And so the, the king unforgave his servant. He forgave the debt. The, the, that servant went out and did not forgive his fellow servant. And the king says, I unforgive you. I'm going to put the debt back on you. You're going to pay that debt that I forgave you. I unforgive you. And then it says, so shall my heavenly father do unto you. If you do not from your heart forgive every man their trespasses. And so that's a very serious verse. God can unforgive us. How many of you, when I said Matthew 18, thought about the concept that if your right hand offends you or your foot, cut it off, or your eye, pluck it out? Did that come to anybody's mind? That's in here. But you know, all three of these stories are taken by themselves. All three of these stories are taken totally to, to illustrate one point. And Jesus, this chapter starts off with who is the greatest? Let's read uh, the first part. Well, now I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to, to look at this chapter. Jesus said, the disciples are about who is the greatest. And he brings a child to him. In verse 3, he says, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever there shall, therefore shall humble himself and become as this child, this, as this little child, the same as greatest the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child, in my name receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. Now, as I read Matthew chapter 18, the whole chapter is related about this child. This whole chapter is related about, do not offend this child. Do not make this child to stumble. And if you stumble, if you cause this child to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown in the sea. A very, very critical uh, instruction for those of us who are in the church who have children, but also those of us who uh, affect children in the church or in the neighborhood. And so I would like us to think about the fact that having your hand cut off or your, your eye plucked out is related to making children stumble. Not on how to keep you from sinning, but how to keep you from making children stumble. I would like us to think about the concept that if somebody offends you, you go correct them not to do church discipline, but to keep a child from stumbling. Let's read it with that thought in mind. Let's, let's read this chapter thinking about children stumbling, and then we'll, we'll delve into that a little harder. Chapter 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, and the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life haught or maimed, rather than to having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to, to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I send to you, whose, uh, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him seven times? Jesus said unto him, I sin not unto thee until seven times, until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take a account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon... One was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him. And took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? 
And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Lord, we are so grateful for the Holy Spirit. We're grateful that you have preserved your word over the years. We're grateful for the men and women who have died to give us the, the scripture in English. We can understand our native language. We thank you for that. And so today, Lord, may you guard our hearts and our minds and our lips and draw us to the truth of your word that we might be a strong people dedicated to you, committed to your ways. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The last portion of this scripture was a question based on what, what Jesus had said in the first part. So I would look at verses 1 to 20 as the discourse that Jesus said. And as they pondered that a little bit later on, Peter responded to say, if what you said back there was true, then how often do I forgive my brother? And so you could argue and say, Clayton, that's not really part of it, and I'll accept that. It was an answer. It was a, it was a question related to that. But the rest of it, like, for instance, 15. Moreover, in addition to what I just got done saying, as a result of what I just got done saying, therefore, uh, <clears throat> you could say, uh, verse 6, but whosoever shall offend... These, these are paragraphs in, in the scripture here that I have. They're paragraphed off as separate paragraphs, but it is all one discourse. And we have to look at it as one discourse. And so, we start off by saying, Jesus, the disciples are saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to, right now, we're in the midst of a special election over in York County. And every day in the newspapers, you add even flyers in the mail. We're getting people, there's three people who want to be the state senator. Uh, one of our local businessmen has spent 750000 of his own money so far for an $80,000 job. Well, obviously, that's a bad investment, right, if you're thinking about just purely investments. But they're vying for the privilege of going to the Harrisburg to represent York County. And it's pretty nasty, some of the things that happen there, as they vie for the greatest. Now, here it is, Jesus' disciples, who should have been past that, right? Who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> who's going to be, who's going to... Who's going to lead this place? In the kingdom of heaven, who's going to be able to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left hand? And Jesus said, I want to, I want to teach you a lesson good. Come here, bring the little child. How old was the child? We don't know. In Mark, it says, he picked him up and carried him in his arms. All right? So, whatever age that was, whatever point he was, Jesus had a small child. And he makes a statement. He says, <coughs> excuse me, unless you are converted... And become as this little child. You will not see the kingdom of heaven. Have you been converted? Bringing every thought into captivity. What kind of things do adults think versus what kind of things do children think? I was working yesterday. We... Out in the wood pile trying to get some, our last little wood in before the snow comes tomorrow. And so we were, uh, working there and, and I, I noticed that, uh, my efforts were concentrated on and getting this wood ch- cut up and split and brought in. Uh, my children's efforts were, um, uh, social. 
And uh, you had the, the two girls and their friend. And the next door was having a lot of company. And so a lot of company was coming in. And uh, my girls were saying hi to the, the children next door. They wanted to be friendly and, and hello. And they were happy and joyful. And I was busy concentrating on my work. Well, that's good, isn't it? I got to provide for my own or else it'll be worse than an infidel, right? Okay, so... <laughs> But I was analyzing this as I was uh, doing this work. I was thinking about what does it, what's it like to be a child? I didn't know as a child that you aren't supposed to wear green shirt with blue pants. I, I didn't know that they don't match. Uh, you know what? Children don't really care what, what goes and what doesn't go, do they? Uh, children don't really care about what impresses other people. Uh, they don't really care about washing their face or not washing their face. Uh, they don't care about, you know, hey, uh, my hair is a little out of place and so go to church. Now I realize that there, you could tell me some stories about, well, this child I had was really, really conscious. And this child, you know, but this this child was pure motives and innocent motives that were were basically on on you know worship of God, you might say. Uh, life is not brought down to this. Oh, no, what do we do next? And how do we please people? And so when he says, <clears throat> if you offend one of these little children, first of all, he said you have to be converted and be like this child. But then he goes on and says, if you offend one of these children, it's going to be bad for you. If you offend, well, what does offend mean? You know, we have used the word offense in, in wrong ways over the, over the years. I read a story of a preacher over in England, I forget, George Whitfield or one of those guys. And uh, <clears throat> he, he had a bow tie. And, you know, the old-fashioned bow ties with little strings on them. And so this, this lady came up after he was done preaching and said, um, Mr. Whitfield, or whatever it was, uh, your bow tie is too long. It offends me. And so he said, do you have a scissors? Yeah, well, make it the right size. And so she went snip, 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 made it the right size. And he said, now that's okay? Yeah. Uh, can I have the scissors, please? Your tongue is too long. It offends me. Stick it out. <laughs> That is not the message of this passage. That is not the word offend. The word offend is to make sin. To make sin. But I discovered as I was looking at the Strong's, and I, I realized, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's all kinds of different ways of looking at that. Uh, what, what does this Greek word mean? But one of the definitions is to make a person not trust a person they must trust. To make a person not trust one that they should trust and obey. I think that's how it's worded. When I was first pastor, we had a family. And when I was ordained, uh, his comment was that Clayton will never be able to keep the church conservative. He will never keep the church conservative. Well, some years, not too many years went by. His oldest child turned 18 and left home. They called the state police, but legally they they can't do anything about it. She's 18. She left home. They called me. They said, uh, Clayton, could you and Mary Loss go and talk to her? And we know where she's living at and we know the address. And and so, yeah, we'd be happy to go talk to her. And as we went, we're, we're on the way. 
They called her and said, Clayton and Mary Loss are coming to talk to you. Listen carefully to her response. Oh, is he good enough for you now? What does that mean? They had Rose Preacher every Sunday for lunch. And they put in their children, instilled in their children, a lack of trust for the man who God called to pass to the church. Now, I'm not here to claim that I have never made mistakes. I'm not here to claim that I've done everything right or that I couldn't have done things better. But God called me to pass to the church, and they instilled in their children a lack of trust for the man they should have trusted. Not one of the children are in the church today, or any church. If you offend one of these little ones, if you make them to turn away in any way, it would be better for you to have never been born. Now, it says offenses are going to come. You know, children, one of the things about children is is they can... as they're growing and as they're trying to expand and trying to figure out life, there's, there's times when they misunderstand things or, or take things the wrong way. And they're offended, right? They're hurt. They're, they're wounded. Uh, my, my dad had a brother named Raymond. And he always wondered growing up why, why Grandpa liked Raymond more than he liked my dad. Because every meal he'd say, Dear God, thank you for food and Raymond. And uh, he always thanked God for Raymond, never for Harold. And so... Yeah, it took him years to figure that out. That, that hurt. That hurt, Dad. Um, I remember the <clears throat> the uh, first time when I was old enough to go with the youth, and uh, the youth were going to go to this event, and and I was uh, I took too long to get ready. I was going to go, and I thought they knew I was coming. I thought they were going to wait for me, but when I came out the house, they were going down the road. <laughs> I just sat and cried. Right now, I've been old enough not to cry. Right, but it hurt. Now, nobody purposely hurt me. Nobody purposely, Grandpa didn't purposely hurt Dad. It was misunderstanding. They're going to come, right? Offenses are going to come. There's going to things happen. But if you are the cause of it, be careful. That's what he says. Whosoever, verse 6, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, whosoever cause him to turn away from me, whosoever shall cause him to mistrust his authorities, whether it be in the church or in the home or in the government, whosoever shall cause him to, to mistrust and not honor it is better for him than millstone were hanged about his neck. Woe unto the world because of these offenses. They will come. Wherefore, verse 8, wherefore, as a result of what I just got done saying, as a result of me warning you not to offend a little one, as a result of that concept, if your hand or foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands with fire and if thy eye offend thee, cut it off. Now, he is talking here about somebody who has offended a child and you are in trouble. You're in trouble with God because you just offended that child. You made that child to turn, turn away from me. You made that child to stop trusting an authority. And you know what? You yourself are in deep trouble. Therefore, if your hand is causing you to offend and cause that little one to go astray, you better get rid of the hand. If your eye is causing you to go astray, you better get rid of the eye. Now, I want us to think about this. How could my hand or my foot 
or my eye lead a child astray? You see, I've always heard this passage preached in the concept that you, if you yourself can't control your hand or your foot or your eye, you better pluck it out for your, for your benefit. But I see this as be careful what you do for your child. Now, I would have easily been able to see if, uh, if he would have said, if your tongue offends, you cut it off. <laughs> as far as relation to, to children, hurting children. Uh, I heard a preacher one time who said that um, he asked his children three questions. He wanted to know whether his children were with him or not. And so he asked him three questions. Do you, have, do you know that I love you? And do you know I love your mother? And when you're my age, do you want to be what I am? And so he said, if you have no to any of those questions, you're in trouble. You better re-examine your life and see what you're doing. And so I thought, well, that's a, that's a good, good thing. And so at Christmas time, we're out in Iowa visiting our, our oldest daughter. And so I took the two married couples out for, for um, coffee house there. And I said, uh, do you know I love you? And Oh, yeah. Do you know I love your mother? Oh, yeah. Do you want to be what I am when you're my age? Oh, no. So... Uh, we did that to the teenagers, took the teenagers out. And uh, yes, yes, and no. And so we had two little little girls that aren't teenagers, and we asked them, oh, yes, yes, and yes. Thank the Lord for innocence, right? <laughs> Unless you become like these little children, you're not going to go to heaven anyhow. <laughs> so in the discussion of what, what is it, that you don't want to be when you're my age. One of them is that I don't want to be overweight. That's okay. Accept that. But one of them, I don't want to have a messy garage. But just don't be a, buy a garage. You want to be messy, right? Uh, but one of them was, I don't want to ever be sarcastic and, and hurt my children with their tongue the way you have hurt me. Now, that's serious. And you know, Thank the Lord that they were able to tell me that and we could repent and hopefully not do for their younger siblings what I did to them. So I could understand if God says, cut your tongue out. If it's going to cause an offense to little children, cut your tongue out. But he said your hand. He said your foot. He said your, your eye. So how could your hand <clears throat> possibly offend a little child and turn them away from, from truth. Turn them away from trusting somebody they're supposed to trust. Winter Bible School there in Marietta, every Tuesday night we had Winter Bible School, and one of the topics this year was uh, biblical discipline in a post-Christian society. And uh, so it was a good, good message on ch- uh, child rearing and child training. My, my children used to not like it when we would go to these child training seminars. Because for the next three weeks, you know, everything was <laughs> in order, you know, order, order. After about three weeks, we get back to the old patterns, you know, and we'd forget about this. But, you know, then we go to another seminar. Oh, my gosh, walk the line. Three weeks here. <laughs> it is possible to use my hand in the wrong ways when disciplining my child. It is possible to strike them in anger. It is possible to strike them too severe for a punishment that did not deserve that much punishment. It is possible to use my hand 
in a way that would <clears throat> make them say, if that's the Christianity of my father, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. And to turn their back on the Christian faith. And if you are, if you're not able to control your hand and use it in love, you better cut it off. My wife said on the way here, what are you going to do if anybody takes you literally? I said, what if everybody goes home this way? <laughs> uh, even if one person goes home and chops their hand off. Listen, I think we need some counsel. We need to pray for each other, etc. But Jesus here is saying that's very severe. I'm so serious about this that you don't offend one of these little children with your hand. It would be better for you to have it cut off and still go to heaven. And so offending a child with your hand can keep you from heaven, if I'm understanding this passage right. It is amazing to me the number of adults who are struggling with the discipline they had when they were a child. Thinking back of how their father was an angry father. I do not understand how we can justify anger. One of the things that God did for me when I was looking at, uh, we were were memorizing uh, the book of James, wife and I, many years ago. And we got to chapter 1, verse 19, which says, Know ye not? Everybody, Everybody be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And when I was, when I was memorizing that, and I heard that, that passage, I thought about that passage, God said to me, you know, Clayton, you will never win your children if you continue to be angry. Furthermore, you will never win the city of York and the children of the city of York if you're an angry man. We had children's club, and, you know, we like to have children come, but I remember one night, just before I got to that passage, I literally picked a girl up and threw her out the door. You know, you, you physically throw, you figuratively throw people out the door, right? I physically, I picked her up and said, get out of here, right? I was angry. And I started looking at Scripture, and it says, you know, get rid of all wrath, a fool's anger soon known. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture says get rid of it. And yet we have people in the church who justify it. I've had many people tell me, uh, <clears throat> do you know that steel without temper is no good? And a man without temper is no good. But the Apostle Paul says, get rid of all anger, all wrath, all malice. And I have to get to the place where when I get angry, I say, forgive me. God, forgive me. And children, will you forgive me? I have to come to that place. Or otherwise, I think I'm violating Scripture. Jesus was angry, they say. When was Jesus angry? Not everybody's going to be afraid to answer. How many immediately thought he was angry when he cleansed the temple? There is no scripture basis for him being angry when he cleared the temple. We do not know that. We assume that. The pictures, the artists might show it that way. Can you spank a child without anger? Yes. Could Jesus cleanse the temple without anger? Yeah. He turned over the temple, the t- tables, and he used the whip to get rid of the animals. But there's no indication he was angry. Now, there was a time when they were accusing him and, and this woman, and he said, that he, who's stone without, 
He looked upon them with anger. The Bible says he looked upon them with anger. The only reference we have, not the cleansing of the temple. It's not there. The only thing I can say is that he was the creator. I've never created anything or anyone. Therefore, he as the creator had a justifiable reason. God's anger with the wicked every day, the Bible says. But man, Paul says, get rid of all anger, all wrath, all malice. And when we strike our children in anger, we use our hand to, to discipline them in anger. I've heard of children who have been punched in, in our churches, who have been punched in the face, who have been in anger, had things picked up and thrown at them. Do not offend a child with your hand. And if you can't control yourself, it would be better for you to cut that hand off than to continue offending a child with your hand. There's another very, very sad way that you can offend a child with a hand, and that is by working too hard. You know, we get a lot of self-worth, and, and we get a lot of value out of our work, and we get our egos built up by what we do. Yesterday, I told the children, hey, we're going to, <clears throat> we're going to uh, set the timer for a half hour, so we're going to work for a half hour and then play for a half hour and then work for a half hour and play for a half hour. And my one little girl, oh, Dad, you're going to play with us? Oh, well, no, I've I got to work. I've <laughs> I got to work all day. I don't get a half hour to play. You get to play. I get to work. Well, all day long, that, that little pleading face <laughs> you know, just haunted me. You know, I said, oh, God, preserve her life. If that's the last day of her life, if something happens to her today, and, and I put her in the grave, and that's the last thing I remember haunting. Oh, it would be horrible. Our children need our time. But we play. We work, and 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 we work. And we offend with our hand. I would like to say that there's nobody <clears throat> who, among us who doesn't inappropriately touch and use their hand to defile. I wish that would be the case, but unfortunately that's not the case. And you can make a child offend and turn their back totally on God by touching them inappropriately, sexually. What about your eye? If your eye has been caught up with pornography, light or soft, hard or, or hardcore or softcore, I say softcore like the magazines they sell at the checkout or the convenience store, right? If your eye is caught up with that, you have offended your child with your eye. Well, what difference does that make? I mean, it's just me, right? I'm looking at a child. You cannot watch and, and engage in that activity without it affecting the way you view women. It's going to affect your, your relationship with your wife. It's going to affect your relationship with your daughter. It's going to affect your relationship with your niece. It's going to affect the way you view children and life. Especially those who are caught with, uh, caught up with, uh, child pornography. We just have a, a, um, public school teacher over in York County. They, um, arrested him and, and, and viewed his computer. 900 images, 900 different children. <clears throat> causing them to offend, causing them to turn from God, causing them to be <clears throat> something they're not. It's going to result in your anger. Uh, <clears throat> that activity is going to make us believe with all of our hearts. I mean, it's, it's a trap. We want to get out of it. We want to stop it. We want to, and yet, we can't get rid of it, and so we become angry. And it's going to produce anger when you can't get victory. 
It's going, to recall, it's going to produce a coldness in your relationship with your wife and your family. A coldness, not, not somebody that's warm and not somebody who's loving, not somebody who's winsome. It's going to have you live in a fantasy world. Instead of living in the reality, your eye is looking at the things you shouldn't look at and you're living in fantasy and you're dreaming and you're daydreaming. And I recognize that it's not just the men. Brother Brian said he thinks he knows what the men struggle with. But today there's all kinds of fantasy world for the ladies too. And you can offend a child by going down the path of sexual immorality. And while you might say, well, I've never fully engaged, Jesus said to look upon a woman to lust after her as you've already committed it. And to look at multiple, multiple, multiple exposures is going to produce in you a spiritual life that cannot reproduce life. It's going to offend a child. Your child will grow up with a daddy or a mother who is not what they ought to be. I think there's another way that we can offend with our eyes and our children are affected. Another way that we can offend our children and make them to turn away from the truth or turn away from the people that they ought to be trusting. And that is our judgmentalism. You know, it's... uh, (laughs) In some ways, I wish I was a child again. I'm supposed to be converted and become like a child. God help me. Friday is down at Black Rock, and uh, they had the quiz, quiz meet. And uh, quiz meet brings all variety of, of schools together, all variety of, of church groups together. You know, it's, I just find it so easy. I have to bring every thought into captivity. It's so easy to say, uh, look at the size of that doily. Well, that, uh, look, at that, look at that. I pass judgment on people's appearance. And pass judgment on their spirituality by how they are dressed or how they aren't dressed or how judgmentalism. Okay, so I said, oh, Lord, help me. So I'm driving up here today and, and we encountered on our way here from York, especially once we got into Lancaster County, lots and lots of Mennonites going to other churches, right? And they're, they're driving down the road. And you know how easy it is to judge them? Just by looking at what car they drive, just by looking at their... The hat they're wearing or whatever. You know, it is so easy for us to judge. And then our tongue passes that judgment on to our children. And our children get the concept of who's in and who's out. I was thinking of Brother Chet. When, when Brian and Michelle lived there, he got a lot of time to spend with Brother Chet. And Brother Chet was blind. And I thought a blind man won't know the difference. He was a little bit overweight, and he, I was coming to visit him one time. He said, hey, on the way over, could you get me a Pepsi? I said, sure, I'm happy to. And I thought, you know, he, he ought to lose weight, so i got him a diet, Pepsi. And I thought, he's blind, he won't know the difference. I didn't realize at that point that they taste different. And so, yeah, he, he took one swing. He said, oh, man, why'd you get me a diet? So, he's blind, how's he know? All right. But, you know, Brother Chet could listen to your voice and he could hear the sarcasm or he could hear the sincerity with which you were following the Lord, he didn't see what you were wearing. He didn't see where it was buttoned. He didn't see what size covering it was. He didn't, see, he didn't see any of that stuff. He could just look at your heart through his ears. And that's how we need to be. That's how we need to get to. And you know what? It would be better if we can't control our judgmental spirits by what we look at. If we can't control the judgmental spirit, it would be better to cut our eyes out. Become like Chet. Our children will catch that. 
<clears throat> Proverbs 22, 6. Tramp a child away should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. And I have heard that debated over the years. I've heard that debated where people, <clears throat> people say, oh, that's, that's a promise. <laughs> Train them up and you go when they're old. Now, you remember I told you about uh, the man at church that his children went astray. He said he Clayton won't be good enough. Um, he told me that verse isn't true. There's no way that verse is true. He said, I don't know what it means, but it doesn't mean what it says. Because he said, we had our children in church every Sunday, and my wife always wore a covering and cape dress, and, and they all departed from it. Yeah, I departed from it because of his judgmental spirit, his verbal turning the preacher upside down every Sunday when he got home or on his way home. Train up a child when he should go. When the old day will not depart from it. You know, I, I don't think that's a promise. I don't think it's a principle. I think it's a warning. Be careful. Parents, you think what you're doing because your children are catching more than just, just what you're instructing them. They're catching more than just what you give them at the devotions. When you have family worship, yeah, you, you want to make sure that they, they know this, this, and this. But they're watching your eyes. They're watching your hand. They're seeing what you do. They see the attitude with which you do it. And you can offend a little child with your hand or with your eyes. And it would be better for them not to have either one. Because you can lead them astray. Verse 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. You be careful. What you do can offend these little ones. And those of us who still have children at home, we need to be on extra guard. We need to be very, very careful. We need to say, Lord, cleanse us and purify us. I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And now verse 15. Moreover, as a result of it, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. This is a, this is a matter of, of forgiveness. Brother, I'd like to forgive you. You know, you, you really led me astray. You, you did something to me that I've had a hard time overcoming. You had a, you, what you said and the way you said it, I've, I've turned my back on God or I've, I've began to doubt. Related to a child, you know, it's very difficult for a child to open up and tell their parents really what they believe until they're 25 or 30. <clears throat> There's a number of things that I wish I could do over again. There's a number of things I, I wish that if I had, you know, my children to raise again, I, I could do them better. But there's a couple of things that we did right. Praise the Lord. And one of the things was that once a month we schedule a, a time to take our teenagers out and talk, take them out for supper. And <clears throat> we call it Teen Encounter. One time earlier on, my wife said, can we really afford to do this each month? I said, we can't afford not to do it. It's so critical because it's an opportunity for us to, sometimes I have an agenda, sometimes I don't, but <clears throat> after supper or have time talking and having a good time, I, I just start, go around the circle. What's the issues? What, what, what's the questions or the issues of life? And uh, sometimes they say to me, Daddy, I think in your life, da-da-da. And they're able to expose to me and tell me how they feel. But also to ask those pointed questions and to ask them specific questions. Have I ever promised you something I've never fulfilled it? Have I done anything for you? And we have to create those, those avenues by which they can talk. 
there's many times when <clears throat> children are, are afraid to talk or afraid to bring it up or uh, how, do you, how do you approach your dad? I um, am amazed over and over again at how many even 20-year-olds would not think about taking their dad out for supper. Just, just the two of you. Go out and take your dad out for supper and just talk. Just, just have a good time and just talk. And they are afraid to do it. Afraid to do it. Dad, are you approachable? I don't know. I, I'm talking to dads here today. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I'm sorry. Right? Usually moms are more approachable than dads. You know, when I ask my children if there's anything they don't want to be when, I, when they are my age, and the marrieds and the teenagers all say the same issues, it's time to listen. Time to listen real hard. And those are the kinds of things that we have to do if we're going to be approachable because if we offend this little child and he's not free to come talk to us, then we have led them astray severely. I was at a development director's <coughs> breakfast on Friday, and uh, the, the man who sat beside me uh, spent four years as a development director. Uh, that's, that's a fancy name for a fundraiser, okay? He's raising money for people. He's a, he was the fundraiser for a children's uh, medical condition of some sort up in New York City. Now, he just in January, he moved down here, and he's the, the uh, development director for the retirement home in, in Southerton the Mennonite Retirement Home. And he said, you know, it's a lot easier to raise money for children. A lot easier. <laughs> you have a children's cause. You know, you go along and, and uh, you, you say, hey, we just, we just charged Grandma $150,000 entrance fee, and now we're charging her 6000 a month, but we need some more money. Can you help us out? <laughs> it's just a little hard to get that done. People love, though, to give to children. Children are innocent. Children are, have their life ahead of them, and they say, hey, yes, we, we need to help. We'll help the children. We'll help the children. Do you realize that while we're helping them and while there's lots of, it's, it's raise, easy to raise money for them, there are people within the church who are destroying them. Where will your children be for eternity? And will they be there in spite of you? Or because of you? Let's kneel before the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we thank you, Lord, so much that <clears throat> you have mercy, mercy on our efforts. And if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we come today thinking of the times when we have failed our children. We think of the times when we have failed the children of the church, where we have not been attentive to their needs, or we have, as adults, spoken things in front of them that they should have never heard. Thinking about how children... <clears throat> can forgive easily, and while they might scrap and have uh, hard words to each other, in 30 minutes they're back playing and they're best friends again. And then they've seen in the church where we have somebody who has said something the wrong way and we refuse to forgive. 
God, be merciful to us and help us. Help us to do better than what we've done. Help us to realize that our children are watching and all of the things that we have done and said and all of the things that we have recognized as very, very important, will they really count a million years from now? Lord, with our hands, we can offend. With our feet, we can offend. With our eyes, we can offend. We can turn our children away. And so guard our hands and guard our feet and guard our eyes while we're bringing our every thought into captivity. Bring our body into captivity. Recognize that our children see how we use our body for you. God, be merciful to our children. Give them grace to forgive our failures, to overlook what we've done wrong, and to build on the good that we have given them, and to use every aspect to build and make better than what we have given them. To make it so that we have children who are dynamic and dedicated and committed and doing much damage to Satan's kingdom in spite of us. May we see the seriousness of causing offense to a child and never asking for forgiveness. Causing offense and never going back. Demanding of them perfection when we ourselves do not have it. Help us, Lord, and be merciful to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.